without further ado, let's get this uh let's get this AMA started with Russell Clay. So just the brief info on the format. Um, we've got some users who in the Discord who are gonna put questions into a Discord chat. There's already been a number of them entered and categorize those into a few basic categories so that we're not jumping too far all, all over the map, but the guys can be a bit random. But I'll read the, those questions and keep an eye on any follow-up questions that might stream in as you're answering them, and we'll get going from there. So before we jump into the questions, I want to give you a chance to tell us a little bit about, about yourself and about your work. Sure. Uh, well, when I saw you guys were, you know, a dynasty-based um, situation over here on the Discord, uh, obviously that is what I relate to. Um, that's how I kind of started this fantasy football journey. Um, I'd say around 2009, I was graduating high school and my buddy, um, reached out to me and said, Hey, look at the football guys, uh, forums over at the shark pool. They got these cool things called dynasty leagues. And, uh, I started then and I fell in love and I'm, you know, happily married 11 years later. So, <laughs> um, not actually married, but married to dynasty. And, um, I'm, uh, I'm, I, you know, I still love it today. I still love talking about it. Um, obviously gone through a few different sites, all basically kind of, um, dynasty related content over the years. I do a lot of season long stuff now at fantasy guru, but, uh, you know, DLF is where I kind of got started. Um, I went to PFF for a hot minute there. Um, and I've been involved with, you know, um, Nate List and Breakout Finder and and Ryan Lopes over there as well. But, uh, you know, now I'm at Fantasy Guru um, and uh, still trying to pump out as much Dynasty content as I can, especially in the offseason. Very cool. And so if I heard you right, so do you guys start with Dynasty in 2009? Were you playing fantasy football before that or did you jump into the crazy end all right away? No, so I always loved Madden and I would just do the fantasy drafts over and over and over again until I won. You know, I finally did it in like Madden 2010 where I did the fantasy draft and won seven straight Super Bowls. And that was kind of like, all right, I'm done with fantasy draft. But that, <laughs> like, I would just continue to draft over and over and over again. And Madden, there was an algorithm, so you could tell which players were going to do well. Um, so you could kind of optimize it. But uh, I always felt like, you know, Dynasty with the drafting and with the trades and with the waivers, like it just was that same type of thing. I actually started fantasy football in 2000. It was my freshman year of high school was my first year of playing. Um, my, you know, my half brother was like 40 at the time or, or mid thirties and he invited me to his longtime league and it was, you know, totally overwhelming, but that is, that's when I started. Yeah. Awesome. And so, do you mind going a little bit into detail about the work that you do with the various places that you've written for and things like that? Sure. So in, you know, the early days of Twitter, um, I always had a passion for college football. Uh, so Devi was, I ended up jumping into one of those leagues in like 2009, 2010, when it was really, really young. I mean, Scott fish, I think was the first one to start one. I didn't, I didn't necessarily find it through him. I found it again through the shark pool. Um, but I got into one of those and it was, it was, it was wild to even think that, 
you know, you could have a fantasy football league where you have college players uh, involved, you know, on your on your dynasty roster. Um, so I started doing a lot of work like that. I felt like that was an emerging market. Um, you know, the connecting. I know people always love rookie draft. But then you could be like, hey, these college prospects, these are the guys from next year or two years from now. So, um, you know, uh, there were a few of us that were into that, Ryan McDowell as well. Um, and we all kind of got together and started making content surrounding those ideas and, and doing mock drafts and, and doing all that stuff. And uh, it, it's been fun to grow. I, I'm not even as much involved in it anymore, but it's been really fun to watch that grow. Um, but yeah, DLF was mostly, I was writing college profiles, um, you know, looking at production, uh, watching games, kind of getting little tidbits that I can find that was kind of always how I viewed content. Like what can I bring? Um, that's, that's either new or stuff that like, if someone didn't have, you know, all the extra time I was putting into it, like what 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 did they find out about Melvin Gordon and his weight training, you know, and from his freshman year to his junior year? Like, <laughs> I felt like that was kind of always my role, like, uh, uh, as as an analyst. And then it kind of built from there. Um, I got into the DFS space a little while because around 2015, um, college football DFS kind of became a thing. And I was like, all right, well, I know most people all care about NFL. Um, I don't know much about DFS at that time, but it was like, it seemed like a place where I could fit in. No, I know I watched the games and stuff. So I, I knew, you know, about the systems and, and, you know, college football is crazy for fantasy points. So, um, I kind of started getting into like content with that. Um, I was, you know, um, floating around, uh, and then, you know, there was a Dark period where I worked at a bank, uh, 2018, and uh, took a step one fancy space, um, and and kind of recalibrated, and then you know, um, it eventually called me back because that's I feel like I'm a lifer at this point, um, and you know, around 2017, I started working with Nate List on um on breakout there, um, you know, the 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 stats versus uh, film, like the analytics versus film battles, the uh, holy wars from 2012 <laughs> to 2017 that are still waging, you know, they're still going on oh. today. Um, I, I always felt like, you know, I didn't play past high school, but I kind of understood that basically, even though, you know, I ended up being like a stat nerd. Um, but, you know, I always felt that feedback from the film only guys was really great and, and something we could build off of and, and, and really help um, with prospect evaluation. Because I, I kind of agree with some of their stuff that, you know, dominator rating alone has a lot of issues. Um, you know, just using these macro um, things really get the full context of a college career. So that's kind of what we worked on over there, kind of taking some of that film stuff and like trying to make it, you know, how would we quantify, you know, production of freshmen? Like, what is that impressive? Um, because they're bringing out guys that are older 
lose them, right? So it's kind of like, you know, a teammate score. And I'm getting way too much in the weeds for, like, introduction here. But um, that's, like, that was my passion and probably still is today. Um, but now um, I do – I'm at Fantasy Guru, which is, you know, maybe a season-long site. So um, in terms of the full-time position, I had to kind of sacrifice – some of the dynasty content I do a lot of like write-ups now i do a lot of you know um the, the grunt work basically um and you know i'm really thankful for it but um you know a lot of I like that a lot of um reaching out to folks about their leagues and uh more invested in other people's leagues than my own at this point now i don't know if anyone can uh relate to that but it's like i would uh, I would much rather have a guy I'm helping win this league now than, um, you know, like, um, yeah, have have my own come, you know, yeah, win my then league, to just so. take your own home all the time. Right, exactly. So that's kind of where I'm at now. Um, yeah, and I'm really happy you guys reached out. This is this is a really fun format, and um, happy to be here today. Awesome, wonderful, and it's great to have you. And I think the the fact that you're not. Uh, so hardliner on just, you know, analytics versus just built. We'll have fun questions coming up as we're coming through. So that'll be good for the listeners. So to start, figure to start off with some of the specialty questions that came in that are more geared towards being a, a fantasy dynasty analyst and things like that. So first one comes in from user Umaro. And it says, Russ, what are your thoughts on PFR going premium and its current incarnation with Stathead? Have you migrated some of your research to other sources or are you opening up for and getting pretty much the same experience? So, so there are some other databases, but it's one of those where um, if you've been using certain sites, I'm sure everyone has this now. Like, you want to have some of your base sites that you use. Like, I go there almost every day. Like, I have for many years now. And once I, I always felt like it was paywall worthy um, content. So uh, when they, they set up the paywall, I was like, yeah, I, you know, I've had this site for free for a decade. Um, I want to pay you guys like you guys deserve, you know. Um, so that was my perspective on that. For those that don't use it every day, I totally understand, like, trying to find, you know, um, free, free content. Um, cultural reference, feel free, the query, um, index is, is there. And I mean, uh, unless you're doing hard queries on, you know, stats you want or articles, the, the, the above paywall profile reference site still has a lot of the, the stuff you want to look for so um i love it i think it's great a, a, a great um website and worthy of paywall but um i, I had it um I, I was a cut for many years uh a free streams and all that and <laughs> well, you, you know uh it, it became worth it to, you know, pitch in for them and, and, and give them something back after all those fears. Yeah. We know that providing value at some point, gotta realize you gotta provide some value back. Right. Yeah. Quinn is on Solar Pool. And it's what research questions are you thinking about this also? Yeah. Um, in terms of prospects 
not much has changed for me in the last couple years. I really grinded um, from 2016 to 2018 on my process for prospects. So it's more been based on content people want. Um, I've tried item video. That's been a challenge. That is a whole separate set of um, challenges and learning stuff, lighting, and you know, getting a camera, which I think might be updated. Um, that is kind of what I've more been focused on, and more about the subscriber or, or like interesting like I've been hopping on about recently, just kind of learn that, and you know, it's kind of kind of where I'm at now, I'm trying to learn more about the entry. I've been watching other people's content. Um, so I've been trying to learn about um, and what works and what people actually for so long. I focus on what I want, and it's like, well, what I want is what I want, and it's not true. I mean, other times it's not. Um, but I'm more focused on the show. I hear that I had a congressional job, it's always get the trap of it's like I, I think this sounds interesting and it gets absolutely yeah. zero engagement as well. Clearly it's not to other people. <laughs> exactly right. So another one coming sir is what do you think aspiring fantasy football writers spend too much time doing? Hmm. So I guess I'm from creating content just yourself like that can work but that can also burn you out um and the clubhouses have been really helpful especially if you're new to content um but one of the traps i fell into early on and i think it's important to work but also recognize as i should, this has been the big shift for me the last years like um Impressing other writers is great, but there's diminishing returns after a while. Like, um, if you put out a good tweet and like people see it and they give you a few retweets, that's great. But if you're constantly just chasing that, like that's what I did early on. And it's like um networking is more than just creating good content. It's it's connecting with people, it's making friends, and and the thing I would say is um, some people that aren't big now, like if you think someone's content's good, like connect with them because you never know who's gonna be the next guy to blow up. Like I, I remember Scott Barrett. Um, I knew him when he like he far surpassed me with you know following now, but I remember I was in he had like a thousand followers and we were just kind of buddies because I thought he was a smart guy. You know, same thing with like Graham Barfield, Matt, Matt Harmon, some of the young kids that uh, mm -hmm. blew up early on. Like, I I didn't necessarily know they were going to, you know, become full time guys. It was just like, um, so that type of interaction is important. But also like, um, you know, you have to know what you want. Do you want an audience or do you want to make this a full time job? Um, do you just want to have fun with your buddies? Like it's. 
there's a bunch of different things. You know, are you dynasty based? Do you like season long? Do you like DFS? Um, do you like other sports? Um, I found out quickly, like I tried to do DFS baseball and I was miserable because I didn't know anything about baseball. Right. And I was trying to provide <laughs> yeah. people. I was like, what the hell is Woba? I got to know this before the slate breaks in uh, three hours. So um, you have to know what you're like what lanes you want to go down and sometimes fail. Like I failed a lot at a lot of things. Um, and you know, I'm still failing my, you know, like, uh, the video content, I'm awful at it, but it's like, I just got to get reps now, you know? Um, and, and no, I'm not, you know, that's not going to be paid or anything. So, um, I would say I started wanting a voice. I just wanted to be heard. That was kind of my main motivation. I didn't necessarily think this was going to become a full-time thing. Uh, and just, you know, it was never enough. Like I always thought like, Oh, if I had a thousand followers, if I had 5,000 followers, like I'll be happy. And it's like, mm -hmm. you know, if you have people that are listening to you, that's amazing. And you should have a lot of gratitude for that. That's, that's, that's a mistake I made early on, you know, where I wasn't, I, I didn't have enough gratitude. I always wanted more, more, more. And it was like, that's why I got burnt out and had to quit in 2016. So, um, yeah, just some, some words to the wise, have fun with it, especially with dynasty. Like I, I believe dynasty should be about fun. You know, like people want to have fun. It's, it's a game. It's like a long-term game. So, um, you know, have fun. People are looking to have fun with dynasty DFS. It's like, yeah, my, big money's on the line and, uh, that's different. Like if you're not on your game all the time, people are bad at you. So, um, you know, <laughs> yep. season long and, uh, DFS is, is a, a pretty intense grind. That's why I identify a little more with dynasty. I hear there. I tried DFS once and I had zero joy out of it and I was out of it just like that. It, it wasn't yes. about the fun. It was about money and correct too much. Not all about that. Uh, I love that you brought up the, the fact of just the working balance and things like that. The next question comes from user begrudgingly wake, which is coincidentally me. And the question was, what does the work week look like for you as a fantasy analyst? So again, I kind of mentioned this in the opening, like we envision Matthew Barry. It's like, Oh, he gets to go on TV and talk about football. He has his radio show. Um, but like, there's so much grunt work that goes into, um, actually being, you know, full time. Um, and for a lot of folks that, that, you know, adjustment from part-time, like, oh, this is really fun to full-time. Oh, I have to write 15 game write-ups this week and, you know, do customer service and work seven days a week during the season. It's like, you know, we're beat down by January. Um, and you know, the, the, uh, initial payment, um, it's really hard to live full-time, um, off those, you know, just poking into the industry wages. Like I couldn't end up doing it on my first you know, job. It was a DFS job and it was just like bills didn't add up. And I was working seven days a week and it becomes that type of, um, thing. So, uh, I, I love, I love it, but the grind over the football season, um, is, is really intense and, um, can definitely there's there's a lot of burnout factor now 
if your boss was, um, you know, I won't say lower on the totem pole, but if he understands, like, you know, you're in the live chat for two hours on Sunday morning and you're helping, like, uh, you know, hundreds of people start sick, you get down especially if someone's like hey you got this wrong last week like there's a lot of critical <laughs> feedback there's a lot of like you know you got to get a thicker skin it's you know and when i was just doing dynasty write-ups and tweeting out stats uh you know in 2012 it was like it was all positive um but when you know people are paying for your content they expect they have high standards and um that is, you know, that's a separate grind of like, wait, am I actually any good at this at all? Or, you know, you have those yeah. questions in those days, like, God, I got, I got that wrong. He's right. So, um, you know, that's kind of the separate grind. And I, I actually feel like it's a lot like, it's a lot like other jobs where are you a good employee? Do you get your stuff done on time? You know, are you, you know, reaching out to people? Are you good? Like, chemistry wise are you nice to everyone in the company you know i've mm -hmm. i i've seen a lot of folks fall out because they just they thought they were better than everyone else and you know that people don't like being around that you know especially if you're working together everyone can relate to that like everyone knows people who it's like i you know why do you think you're better than me and if you're thinking that you know probably other people are too and so oh yeah um, that's not a solo thought Right. So, um, you know, it is, it's a grind. The season long, um, you know, it is a grind, but it's kind of like a teacher schedule where the off season is a little more relaxed, but, um, it, it is a grind. I, I would be lying if, um, if I said it wasn't. Yeah. Absolutely. Th thanks for the input and the, and the insight there. Next question comes from Sean and he says, I saw you in and heard you talk a little in one of the fantasy chats and clubhouse. What do you think of the new platform? And are you seeing any innovative content creators doing great work there yet? Do you think it will change the industry much? So I said, I said last night in the clubhouse, uh, clubhouse 2021 feels a little like Twitter in 2009. Like nobody knew what we were doing. I didn't even know how to thread tweets. I would just tweet one tweet and thought it was connected and it'd be a separate tweet. Um, and like, you know, Nope, but nobody knew because we were all just um, learning and there weren't that many people on there. I mean, all these big accounts now, a big account in 2009 was like 2,000 followers. So um, yeah, I think Things it's a great changed. opportunity. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think Clubhouse is a great opportunity for folks trying to get in as new content creators. So like... And again, like these clubhouses, I get nervous when I have to talk because I don't know it's new. Like it, it, nobody knows what they're doing. So that's a huge advantage for um, new folks because it's like we're all on an equal playing field. Nobody's done clubhouse before. So um, yeah, I think uh, I think that's a great place with huge upside. You know, just to connect with people. I've already, you know, I'm uh, I've been impressed with quite a few people on there. Um, that I hadn't even, you know, really known before. So I really that for an upside play, as they say. Um, it's the uh, the Rashad Penny of social media. Love that. Yeah, I'd, I'd actually never heard of Clubhouse till now, but I also don't have a Twitter, so I, I'm the boomer in the room there. 
There you go. Yep. So the next group of questions is just going to be mostly general dynasty strategy. So this one comes from Sam and he asks, how does your team building differ in best ball dynasty formats compared to your traditional dynasty format? Yes. Um, so in best ball dynasty, uh, depth matters significantly more. Um, you know, in start leagues, hitting on late round picks doesn't matter as much. And that's kind of why I've shifted towards um, best ball dynasties as well. Also, Sunday mornings, I don't really have um, set lineup time. And I kind of find that um, time consuming. I, I just find setting lineups time consuming. And um, I, I love best ball dynasty leagues. Um, but I, I definitely think that the late round stuff is totally different. Um, in, in start leagues, if you have like eight or nine starters, I think you can just go stars and scrubs and grind the waiver wire and have your three or four studs and you can win the league that way. You can't do that really in best ball dynasty leagues. Like if you have 2019 Christian McCaffrey, but nobody, no other running backs, um, you know, you're not going to survive over a full 16 game season. So I love the depth aspect of it. That's my favorite part of dynasty finding the guys in round 17 or, you know, probably not going to find a guy in round 20 plus, but, uh, you know, the late round guys, that's, that's kind of my passion. So, um, that is, you know, that's my, that's my focus for sure. Awesome. Yeah. Being able to find those guys who in the best ball format can actually be relevant versus you know, there's no reason you'd ever start them in your standard league setting format. Unless there's like a Nelson, a Nelson Aguilar last year was huge for best ball. Cause he got like seven or eight starts for you. And in like a start sit, like shout out to Nelson Aguilar, but I would never want to start him, you know? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> he bounced me out of the playoffs last year on a nice performance. And mm. I spent the whole season looking at that guy's roster thinking, why is he even holding this guy? So yeah. that, that's, that best ball really comes in there. A uh, question here from Solar again. What does the structure of the most fun dynasty league look like to you? All right. Super flex, 30-man rosters, um, tight end premium, and general mantra of the league to be careful with future picks. Like, I'll be so happy if I can have those factors. Um it's one of the things I really try to focus on uh, when I do. I do roster reviews at Fantasy Guru, and um, getting a call. Hold on one second. No problem. Yeah. I've I've been in a handful of uh, goofy dynasty leagues through through the Discord here, and we had yeah, we can hear you. Yep. One sec. I was just mentioning the Discord. We have a 16-team okay. league with really large starting uh, lineups. I think um, he, I think it's five wide receivers, three tight ends, etc. Get my headphones back here for a second. No problem. Man, that was a lot of fun, but man, what was it a wild league? Hold on. 
Please hold. All right, no problem. I'm back. All right, wonderful. So, <laughs> so you're looking at a at a league that has super flex, a tight end premium, and a bunch of league members who don't think that selling four years with the draft picks are the way to go. Yes, yes. Um. Oh, that's what I was gonna say. Um. I've kind of gotten to the point with Dynasty, as I mentioned, it's not quite like DFS where it's really money based. You know, I kind of always say like if you're trying to make money off fantasy football, Dynasty probably isn't the, you know, I, I mean, you can, there are high stakes leagues, but I think like you want to have it be a positive environment. Um, I've had so many dynasty leagues over the years fall apart because either people didn't care about the long term or everyone was fighting. <laughs> um, so I focus a lot on like the actual structure of the draft now and who I'm playing with because it can be tons of fun. Uh, but you have to be careful because if you have people who are just tanking their future, it can it can set off the balance of the entire league. And that is something I, I focus on and tell subscribers at Fantasy Guru, like, hey, you know, if you sell off all your future stuff and go for this year, like that's setting off the balance of the entire league and you're, you know, could potentially be giving someone an unfair advantage. So um, that that is just one thing I, you know, it's obviously some people view it like I'm going to do the best thing for me every time. And if it means ripping people off every time. And that's great. I get it. That is the optimal strategy. There's, you know, but um, I kind of like it where everyone has a little bit of, you know, respect the league. I'm not going to take advantage of everyone. Yeah. Yeah. There's few things worse than seeing the worst team in the league that's been bad for a couple of years make three trades in a row where they're clearly. You know, everyone's wondering, oh. what are they doing? And then... And you just get that email of trade accepted, and you go, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> what is you doing? Two first-round picks for Todd Gurley? No! Maybe it's 20. Why? Uh, uh, we had a couple a couple of questions here from Solar Pool that are pretty related, so we're putting them together. So as a trend, do you find yourself more likely to react slowly to news and performances? So, i.e. stick with your prior evaluation or try and react quickly and move to take advantage of the shift? His follow-up question there was, Adam Harstead thinks that redraft owners are actually sharper than Dynasty players because they're more likely to make that, that shift. Do you agree with this hypothesis? Um... So in terms of off-season ADP, I love... Okay, Adam Hairstead is one of the brightest guys I've ever met in my entire life, so shout out to him. Um, I've, I've learned so much from him. He's one of the, the role models for me, so uh, definitely go check out his stuff. Um, I've learned an immense amount of stuff from him, but um, I always keep a long-term point of view, uh, and that doesn't change. Like, if I like the prospect... Um, and he stinks in year one, I'm holding and probably buying more. I don't even think about selling, quite honestly. And maybe that's an error in my game, but I've just found I continue to buy players. Um, now I have, you know, a structure in place for buying players. So I kind of look at it like I don't necessarily look at them as individual players, I look at them as, right. 
if I get as many first round running backs on my team as possible, I know this percentage are going to hit. Um, and that's again, more of a best ball dynasty strategy where I'm taking macro factors. So like Rashad Penny right now and Nikhil Harry, there are no reasons to buy them. Right. And there are, <laughs> the sell-off has been immense. I mean, they're free now, you know, everyone's out, but, uh, I'm still in here buying, you know, the price gets cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And I'm just buying now, and I, there's no downside now. Obviously, I have some sunk cost with some high draft, high rookie draft picks, but um, I'm always buying. Um, ad years don't affect me really. Like I was buying Corey Davis last off season. Um, I I was buying Devonte Parker two years ago, and I was buying a lot of guys that stunk too. But it's like um, that 1,200 yard season from Devonte Parker averaged out. 10 misses. So that's how, that's my perspective on it. If you're trying to play, you know, the day trading of dynasty. Yeah. I, I can see the, um, you know, uh, looking to sell guys who you think are going to, um, lose value, but I, I just look at it long term. Um, and it makes it easier cause I'm in, you know, 10 leagues. So if I'm rebuilding for a couple years, it's like, all right, well, these four teams are a building. I know what the right process is long-term, um, but uh, I still have a few leagues over here, and I have winnings from the past that'll like average out these, these losses I'm having in these years. Honestly, 2020 was not a great year for me. Um, I've had some big misses the last couple of years, and I think transparency for yourself is important. Like I was high in Dwayne Haskins, and I watched that just Ouch. plummet. It was like Enron, man. It was it was like he went from decently valued to nothing in a matter of months. And I was like, well, all right. <laughs> and uh Rod Penny, Nikhil Harry as well. Like I, I love Nikhil Harry as a prospect. And um he's busted, you know, and maybe like I'm still hopeful that we get to see him with a good quarterback this year, but uh all of these people breaking down his film and his production and it's like yeah i'm with you guys i agree but i'm gonna keep buying because it's like i bought him for the 102 am i gonna pay a third round rookie pick um because i think there's some upside still and maybe a five ten percent chance he does end up turning into what i thought yeah so that's how i look at it i don't look at sell at all um i just look at buy opportunities so um be holes in my game with that but uh it, it does work it's just way higher variance because some years you just get wiped out um you know like mm -hmm. todd Gurley in 2017 and 2018 versus 2019 and 2020 you have a hundred percent todd Gurley. it's like whoo riding the wave baby and then it's like oh he's not producing and he's worth nothing now okay so just i go through huge waves yeah Awesome, yeah, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes you'll have holding the bag, but maybe other times you can get you can get that Devonte Parker guy who comes out after a year of disappointment and can really rip it up. Okay. Um, question from Bryce: What's something that dynasty owners can use to gain an advantage over their competition? Uh, yes, uh, NFL draft position. Um, it's something I do charts on every year, kind of looking at general hit rates um i don't find much value 
I mean, there's value in looking at fantasy results, but I care more about snaps, touches, and players progressing rather than, you know, was this player a top 24 producer this year? Um, so, like, if a rookie has 300 receiving yards in their rookie year and then they go to 700 in year two, like, I value that. I think, okay, he's progressing. He's getting a bigger role in the offense. Uh, and other people are like, yeah, but that's 700 yards. That's stupid. <laughs> and, and I don't yeah. disagree. Like he's sitting on your roster doing nothing. But um, it, it's like, I like seeing that progression even when it's not fantasy relevant. Um, but I, I think it's really important for people to know just how many um you know, first, second, and third round NFL draft picks end up being the top fantasy producers um, across all positions, not even fantasy. Um, just in terms of NFL starters, it's like 70 to 75% of the best guys are all top three round draft picks. You know, you're going to have an Antonio Brown outlier. You're going to have a Stefan Diggs fifth rounder out of Maryland. Um, but the large majority you're going to get Calvin Johnson. He's going to be a top five pick, right? Like these guys aren't coming out of nowhere. Des, Des Bryant, we knew about him for years, right? Like we knew about CD lamb from his true freshman season. Most of the guys that are going to be the best NFL players, like we know years in advance. So look at this year, like Travis Etienne. It was like, yeah, I mean, he was, he had 800 yards as a true freshman. He's probably going to be a first round pick. He's been incredibly prolific over the last two years. It's like, that's a guy who's going to get NFL opportunity. <laughs> um, yep. The wide receivers like Chase, you know, that sophomore season, it's like, oh, okay. Like if he busts, you know, if he's just a Blackman, then okay. But um, large majority of the best fantasy producers are going to come from that first, second, and third round. Um, so you can take shots. Um, on the later round picks, just know the hit, just know the hit rates. Like it's like a five to 10% shot at one 800 yard season, um, from a fifth round, sixth round, seventh round picks. So that 800 yard season might not even be fantasy relevant. So you're looking at low odd plays there. Yeah, absolutely. And I know personally, basically all of my biggest hits in rookie drafts and in third round plus have, have been looking at guys who are drafted highly third round receivers usually that for some reason keep on falling. Yep. It's like, well, if, totally. you, if, if people aren't going to draft Cooper cup or Terry McLaurin, might as well just follow draft capital. There, Terry McLaurin is an incredible. Yeah. That's an incredible example where I didn't even love his profile either, but it was like, he's two ten. that. Yes. You know, hold it. I, I hear you there. Yeah, I just absolutely if I trust the fact that there are professionals out there for the teams who've been doing this and and they drafted him highly. And sometimes you just got to say that's where it is. And I'm not going to not going to say it just because I watched a highlight film on Kelvin uh, Harmon means that he's got to be the next stud. Yes, I had to learn that the hard way early on where it was like I loved players and then they go in the sixth round and you're like well i still love them and i'm gonna take them 203 even though they're fourth round pick and then they get cut before you know week one mm -hmm. and you're like oh my opinion matters very little in this transaction 
I got, I got some strong worded letters and tweets ready for these guys. What are these execs right. doing? Right. So the next question we got from Bryce here, or actually Sam, is what is your offseason strategy in terms of do you sit back or do you actively try and pursue trades? Mm. Um, I put my list. I'm not. I'm not as big of a big trade guy anymore. Um, I've, you know, the the hits are amazing when you win a big trade, but the losses are just so painful. Um, you know, like so. I used to have this thing where I'd hit on these late round guys and then I'd sell them the next off season, and it only takes one Devonte Adams to uh, really make you rethink that idea. I had one league where I hit on Devonte Adams and Michael Thomas, you know, uh, Michael Thomas rookie year. And then Devonte Adams in his first real breakout year, I sold him that off season. And it's like, just look back at Ouch. that roster and you're like, Oh, you know, you made profit, but what is that profit worth when, you know, you watch Devonte Adams go for 15 touchdowns. So, um, I'm a little more hesitant on trading high on players. You know, I, I tend to see it through now, um, but I'm always looking for those second, third round picks. Um, you know, who can I snag? Like this year, I'm trying to snag Rashad Penny for a third round pick, or, you know, I mentioned Harry already. God, I'm, I mentioned his name so much. I shouldn't at this point, I shouldn't be connecting my name, but like those are the guys <laughs> I'm buying this off season just because they're, they're free. So that's, I go bargain basement shopping now, you know, um, uh, one other thing and I'll, you know, give uh, a little take, you know, DJ Chark and LaVisca Chenault. I don't think the Trevor Lawrence price increase is quite there for them yet. I think Trevor Lawrence is valued correctly in dynasty. I don't think Chark and Chenault are. So I think we're going to see them rise uh, over this off season when he gets there. So I like those two as well. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Narratively, you've got Chark, who's got a quarterback who can actually hit him on a deep ball. And yes. for LaVisca, you, you've, got a, you've got an offensive or a head coach who n likes to use the talented guys in, and get the ball in their hands in a variety of ways. At least we saw that in college. Totally. Yep. And Chark had a 1,000-yard season with Gardner Minshew. So, I mean – getting a real high-end quarterback in there could be bananas. So, yeah. All right. And and a question from Bryce here is, who's one player that you're trying to buy low this offseason, and who's one player you're trying to sell high? I guess if we avoid the Nikhil, the attach yourself to Nikhil Harry for a third or fourth time mm. here, uh, who are some guys there? Okay. Um, let me go to a startup real quick. I did... Um, I kind of like Jameis Winston in Superflex. He's going real cheap right now. Um, so I'm buying high on CD Lamb. Um, <laughs> I, I think that's a great pick, especially Go buy high. Yeah, we're going buy high here. Um, I'll I'll spend a, a late first on him, even if that's crazy or an early second in Superflex. Um, so again, going with my strategy, I'm buying Mike Williams, Rashad Penny, Sony Michelle, just all these disgusting names nobody wants. Um, I'm buying Jay Sternberger, like in tight end premium, um, Jordan Love, Ernton Evans. So, you know, I mean, 
chances are most of those guys are going to end up being misses, but um, that's kind of my general range. And I hope one or two hits. And if they do, all those other trades of second and third round rookie picks was kind of like, all right, well, I, I over overcame those misses for, for that one hit. Yeah. It's a price you play to play ball, Th- throw those third and fourth round picks at people and just try and grab the guys that they see as profit. Cause they, they, they were over them. Right. All right. Uh, somewhat of a corollary there, but in a little different area is who are your over and underrated assets right now that you see in Dynasty? And that's from Down With Fun. Mm, overrated. Okay, so some players I'm not touching. Um, let's go to the startup. And who did I say? Ew. And they were picked. Um, so I'm not an Aaron Jones guy. I can tell you that. Um, I think the, you know, this free agency thing, we've just seen it so many times, um, where it just clicks down their value slowly, but surely, um, I not, not in on that. Um, guys like that, again, those fourth and fifth round, sixth round players that kind of emerged. Um, I'm not in on Travis Kelsey this off season, just because he's 31 coming off an immense season. I think he's still going to be a great season long asset, but, um, you know, one injury and that value is going to tank. So I do worry about that a little bit. Um, I'm not in on DeAndre Hopkins at this age, just based on the players he's being drafted around. I think there's a lot of great, great picks. Um, uh, Derek Henry is one of those as well, where it's like, if you have him on a roster, I I'd say hold him till the wheels come off, but I'm not looking to actively pursue him and start up. Um, let's see here. Um, Hmm. Jalen hurts. Not, not, uh, not loving that value right now. Um, and overall though, I will say this is one of the best years for dynasty startups I've ever seen. I think there's so many great assets in the first four to five rounds. So, um, I love startups this year, probably more than I have since is probably the last five years. There's so many good young wide receivers, so many in their prime and ascending running backs and great young quarterbacks. We just were dealing with that inflated, like old dudes at quarterback for so long. Um, and now it's kind of like we have this new era at quarterback. Um, so I, I really love a lot of the startups this year. I think this is a great year to get in. Yeah. It's finally resetting a few of those markets. Uh, yep. We've got a question here from King Greeny, our resident Brit. And he asks, how do you convince other players a trade can be beneficial for both sides, but they don't see it in terms of value, competitive rebuilding, and in general, mm. trade negotiation? When you're, you're- Yes. Um, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. It, it was just uh, something came into mind. You're good. Okay. Um. Yes, I think this is really important. Uh, and sometimes I think you need to set some boundaries with some folks. Uh, you know, 
one of my best friends is Nathan Powell. And sometimes I just have to send him a gif of like, you know, the Justin Timberlake stare down, like, come on, bro. Like, you know, don't, don't send me that. Like, you know, I like having the, like, we both are on the same page. We know as much. I go into every conversation, assuming everyone knows what I know, even if they don't, I want to give them that respect. And like, you know, my quarterback position is weak. I know your wide receivers are weak. Um, we both know, like, I like CeeDee Lamb. You like him too. I'm, I'm going to overpay for him. But let's be reasonable. Like, let's make it three first. Don't ask me for six. So um, I, I've had a lot of situations in the last decade where I say, hey, man, I don't think you're a reasonable trader. I don't want to trade with you anymore. Um, sometimes they you know, don't send offers anymore. Other times they say, Hey, you know, I get it. Um, I'm going to connect with you more. And like, we're going to talk about this more and I'll change my strategy and not try to take 30% of a cut on, <laughs> on top of top of our trade anymore. So I think it's the honesty game, you know, and there are some people that just aren't going to play that they're going to always want to, you know, get that 30% commission. Um, and sometimes, you know, you can change that. Sometimes you can't, but, um, yeah, just go into it. Honest, be like, Hey, and be honest with their side too. Like I, we both know that guy's going into free agency. We both know Aaron Jones might be, you know, a sell high right now. So let's find a good market value here Bring up AP. And even if they don't value it and they love all their guys be like, Hey, yeah, well, here's what the market value is, buddy. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I, it's one thing if you don't want to sell them. I understand, you know, people's biggest fans right. are only their owners, but just because you you're in love with someone doesn't mean you need to try and pass on an extra first for every single guy. Right. Like, I'm not going to sell Rashad Penny right now. I spent 103 on him. Right. Like, and if you send a third round pick, it's like that's a fair offer, uh, but I can't do that because. I spent one of three on him. That would be, you know, yep. brutal. So, yeah. Yeah, I get some of that back. All right. Solar comes in again with a question. Uh, logistically, really, is how many leagues do you have and how do you manage a large number of them? I think you mentioned you're in 10 or more earlier. Yes, I'm in 11 leagues. Um, nine of them are best ball. So I think we all run into this with Dynasty where we have that off season. We get super jacked up about our four startups and then we get mid year and we're like, Oh God, Oh no, this is too much. So that happened to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're trying to set ten lineups and you're like, Whoa. And I mean, I know some people mm. who have, are in 40 leagues and you're just like, wow, I could never do that. Um, so my limit, I was in like 15 one year and I said, Whoa, like this is, way too much for me um you know especially if i want to do a little dfs or whatever as well um and uh so i if it's best ball i'll add uh those leagues but if it's a set lineup i'm really careful about adding leagues now just because i know there's there's that that sweat equity you got to put into it to actually win and compete because uh you know, there are leagues that I've done where it's like, I'm not doing my best on waivers. I'm not do I miss a start sit every once in a while. And that's what loses you leagues. It's that tight 
sometimes, especially against competitive folks. And, uh, you know, if, if you can't put your full effort into all the leagues you're in, like it'd be time to downsize. So that's what happened to me. Um, I was only in five leagues a few years ago. That includes um, redraft and dynasty. And it was like, okay, I can ramp up with best ball, but uh, set lineup. I have to adjust that because it's too much for me. Yeah, I feel like other, other than waivers, which is usually more of a redraft thing than dynasty, is that lineup setting on a week-to-week basis is the majority of my time. Yep. So much, yep. All right. The next uh, group of questions, I just said rookies and sophomores because we're all still enamored with the 2020 class. So there's a mm. lot of questions regarding that. So the first one is from Ghost of June here, and he decided to make ourselves a, a little four-parter, basically giving some highs and lows. So I'll read them up to you as a full, and then we'll just hit them one at a time. So the first one is 2020 rookie class late bloomer will be. Then the 2020 class never bloomer will be. A 2020 class banquet superstar is. And 2020 class fool's gold is. So the first one was your late bloomer from the 2020 class. Someone who might not have hit here in that last year, but you think they still have it. All right, let's... Let's uh, let's take a look at the class as a whole here. My due diligence. Um, go to stat head positions. Wide receiver. All right, twenty twenty class. Um. Okay. So there are a few guys. Um, again, going with my strategy, right? So Jerry, Judy, CD lamb, Justin Jefferson, Ayuk, Higgins, all kind of blew up in year one. Um, those guys are valued at value or if not, not valued right now. Um, I'm looking at rugs and Rager as guys. I wasn't as high on Rager as many last year. And this is one of those things. Like I wasn't a huge Devonte Parker guy coming out. I liked his profile, but it was like, you know, there there were certainly some flaws. Um, look at, um, you know, Rager. I kind of thought some of this production was overvalued. Yes, they had bad, bad quarterback play there, but it was a little inflated because he was the only guy there. Um, and then, you know, I liked Ruggs a lot, but many didn't. And so him having a mediocre year one was like, was that confirmation he wasn't very good to a lot of folks so his price is falling significantly um i'm buying those two guys and rager again i wasn't high on last off season but i'm buying now um m chanel hamler uh brian edwards i think is a great value i know i'm listing a bunch of guys not one so you know what i'm gonna stop henry ruggs would be a guy i think you can get a discount on right now just because um, I loved his profile. Um, I, again, I value the teammates, you know, last year we kind of knew, okay, it's rugs and Judy, but I also knew Devonte Smith was also knew Waddle was stealing a lot of usage because they're both uh-huh. speed based guys. So it's like, yeah, rugs production stunk. It was awful. Right. I get it. Especially for a high first round pick, but, uh, he had a lot to battle with in terms of quality targets. I don't think we've ever seen four first round wide receivers on one 
you know, all kind of in that sophomore junior year um, uh, playing on the same team. We had those Miami Hurricanes years with like Andre Johnson, Reggie Wayne, and Santana Moss. Um, but I don't think we had four. We had Jeremy Shockey there as well, but yeah, never had four. So, I mean, Ruggs didn't even play that bad. He missed a few games with injury and then 500 yards from scrimmage in 12 games. Again, it's not like he wasn't getting snaps. He was out there. Um, I I could see a nice little, little progression here fantasy-wise, maybe get into that 800 yards from scrimmage in year two with, with Nelson Ag- Aguilar gone. So uh, I, I like him. And then uh, never happen. Um, uh, let's see. I'm not a Darnell Mooney guy. Um, I think some people really love Darnell Mooney right now. I'm I'm not quite as high on him just because of the um I'm not as high on the upside, I guess I would say, um as as others. So going to rugs there, is there you're saying you're looking at him maybe hitting the eight hundred yard mark this year. So if you're trying to send a rookie pick, because people probably picked him late first or early second, what are you trying to send that you think is a good value there? So in Superflex, I mean, I don't know. I'd wait till draft day and be like, 208? What's going on here? You know, because some people wanted, they saw Justin Jefferson break the receiving yardage record. They saw CD Lamb before Dak Prescott injury. Uh, you know, they saw a lot of these guys become featured guys in year one. Um, and I'm sitting here with a few rug shares, and I'm like, damn. Would have loved that Justin Jefferson year last year. So even as someone who's buying, I get it. Um, but I, I'd be buying into that. So yeah, two I'm mid to late second. And you know, if you're not high on rugs, maybe wait another year. If he gets 700 yards, then he's gonna be free. You know, people are gonna be like, all right, two years of nothing, he's done. Um, and that's where I would really strike with those third round rookie picks. And you mentioned a few of those guys who really did hit there. And so the next one was, who is your bank at Superstar? So if you had to hang your hat on one of, one of those really great 2020 hits, who do you think is going to have the best career? CeeDee Lamb, yeah. Um, pretty undeniable prospect. Uh, you know, again, this goes into the teammate thing. He had Marquise Brown and Mark Andrews there, and uh, he still produced as a true freshman at 18 years old. Um, continued that progression, had an enormous uh, junior year, 21 years old, became, you know, the main slot guy on the team, did pick and punt return, great after the catch, amazing ball skills. Um, so that's where I kind of meld the film and, um, you know, production research. I first, or first round pick, great indicators in year one, you know, got that rushing usage too, which shows, uh, weekly game plan like they're they're thinking of him as like all right this guy can do a lot of things not just you know catch deep targets so i think he's basically deandre hopkins 2.0 if not a better version so um i'm really high uh maybe too high maybe too high but uh that's that's where i'm at with him i'm a lamb lover myself so hearing you say that it brings a joy to my heart even though i traded out of the the spot that I could have drafted him in. Chris McCaffrey was available and I had to go for it. I'd it didn't happen. Happen. <laughs> Next year, though. 
Yeah. And the last one is the fool's gold. Who is someone who showed up year one? We had a lot of those uh, second, third round wide receivers who who showed up early. Which one of them do you think is fool's gold? Okay, so I'm gonna put a lot of heavy heavy context sign here. Um, Justin Jefferson is amazing. I love Justin Jefferson. Um, but he just broke the rookie record. Um, I think he's going to continue to be very productive and very fantasy relevant. But it could be a few years before he gets back to that 1,400 yards. 1,400 yards is so hard to do. Um, I could see him falling back into that 11, 1,200 yard range for the next couple years. Chase Claypool, uh, I like him, but it's a little pricey for me right now. Um, I get the athletic profile and and his production, but kind of felt like some of those plays that he was used on was, you know, a little gimmicky. Um, he's a hyper athlete, so maybe he just hits even harder in year two, and 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 he just be ascends to high end status, but. Um, I'm kind of fading him as current price. Awesome, yeah. I'm a, I'm a Vikings fan, so I got to watch every bit of that wonderful surprise that that came along with Justin Jefferson. Yeah. But through that, did you have a chance to look at that uh, that take a, that surge in support of Zach Wilson over Justin Fields, uh, or do you think that the T- Trevor Lawrence and Fields should be that number one and two, and and other takes are just being hot or uh, a little bit contrary and just to do it. I have Fields as QB2. I'm not moving off that one of those where I've been locked in since 2020, and I see no reason to change that. Um, I think a lot of people coming into the draft process uh, watched that Northwestern game for Justin Fields and instantly kind of ticked him down. Uh, But uh, at this point, I mean, I get the Zach Wilson stuff. He is a nice prospect, but... uh, Especially for Dynasty, I'm going Lawrence Fields and airdrop after that. Yeah. Yeah. Trevor Trevor Lawrence is definitely the special guy. And I remember seeing some people start to try and pick him apart in really minor things uh, a month or so ago. And just watching that, it, it, it feels like those years when you got the 1.01 already figured out and everyone's like, well, what, what hot take can I take to, you know, right. at least throw some something at this guy's armor? Right. Yeah. And I just, I don't get involved in that. I just go, well, kind of like with Andrew Luck, like, yeah, I don't need to make it complicated. That's checked out mm-hmm. the box. We know where that is done. Yep. I mean, you can try and look at the one at someone's single worst game in college and say, oh, here's some warning signs and why they won't be a good quarterback. Or you can look at the entire resume and say, we have, we, you've got one blip on the radar. Right. We've got another good question from Solar here on, and it's if you could only listen to two, two or three experts for film and data analysis, who do you think they'd be? <laughs> well, um, so at this point in the game, I, I don't really, um, I consume content for fun this point if i'm being completely honest i don't necessarily look at other people's content to like um learn as much i i'd say the backbone for me was matt waldman um i thought the the rsp uh 
was unbelievable. I would buy that every year. And I mean, that guy has so many insights. Um, I used to listen to the, you know, and Sigmund Bloom and all that. That was one of my favorite podcasts back in the day. Um, and again, Adam Hairstead, I'd bring him up again. All his work is fantastic. Uh, he's such a bright guy. Um, he, he's like such a bright guy. And um, I, I just love all his work um so i still learn from him i'd say but in terms of prospects uh kind of do my own thing now um i you know breakout finder is something i'd highly suggest because if you want to know what i think it's it's all in that that product um it is behind a paywall so if you're not looking for a paywall i get it um, and I'm not in, even involved in that site anymore. So none of that money's coming my way. I guess it's more of a plug for them. But uh, yeah, that that model that uses teammates, it uses um, their, their schedule strength throughout their career and, and a bunch of factors, you know. Um, so that's where all my process is currently. <laughs> so if you want to know what I think, go over there and look at the... Uh, the prospect model there. Um, but yeah, in terms of, I kind of have my process at this stage. Awesome. I mean, that makes sense for someone who's has an established rhythm. You're doing the job. You're not just trying to pick out any random resource that comes along at this point. Right. Yeah. Stay consistent. Yeah. You mentioned podcasts a little bit. So in terms of things that are not fantasy football, are there any podcasts that you're a fan of that you think, everyone should have a chance to check out if they have some sure um i'm a big podcast and youtube guy i love love youtube i spend way more time on there than i should <laughs> mm -hmm. but uh i i love youtube um the clips you know i i love stand-up comedy so i go on there and and um you know, all these stand-up comedians have podcasts now, so they clip up their pods and put the funniest moments on YouTube. Um, Bill Burr, all those kind of guys. Um, uh, I I like um, stock stock advice, even though I'm not going to invest in ninety percent <laughs> of what they do. I just think it's fun content to watch, and uh, so I I kind of like like watching that stuff. Just uh, you know. Um, learn about that and um i like chess so i watch chess streaming and there's a big um it's you know in usa we don't care about chess as much but the rest of the world that's like their sport um so i like watching that i'm fascinated with incredibly smart people so <laughs> i watch them play chess and i'm like wow that's unbelievable that you knew 15 moves ahead of time so and um, that's that's something I really love as well. That's a lot. That, that sounds like a lot of fun. So it sounds like between the two, you, you you find a lot of love out of YouTube, even even more than podcasts. Yes, yes, YouTube um, podcasting. I like Ryan Rusillo and Bill Simmons. That's kind of how I you know learned about content in the first place. So shout out to Bill Simmons and The Ringer. Um, other podcasts. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd say those are the main ones right now. All right, awesome. And following up on, you mentioned stand-up comedy. If someone had to watch one stand-up comedy that you think would be the best one, what do you think it would be? Mm. 
I think Dave Chappelle's the most talented comedian um I've ever seen. I I think all of his stuff is brilliant. Um you know, he's a little trolly and crude, but uh I think he's a a brilliant guy. Um and Bill Burr as mentioned, I think he has a lot of great stuff as well. And let's be honest, what stand-up comedian isn't at least a little bit trolly? It's I feel like that's the foundation totally. of the whole field. Right. <laughs> totally, totally. All right. So we're running up in the last couple of questions here. Uh, let's see. So kind of expanding a little bit there, uh, or actually jumping back into some, some fantasy football-related stuff. This one's from Bryce, one of our resident Packer stands. And he, mm. he's seeing, he's really excited to see some reports that Chris Carson and the Packers may have a little bit of mutual interest. He doesn't actually think it'll happen because the Packers and, and Capel are running into each other. But he said, let's pretend for a minute that it is a match made in heaven. What would this put Chris Carson, the Packer, amongst your R- other RBs as a dynasty asset? Is he someone that you want to try and buy be- because people think he's getting a little bit old? Or do you think he's a uh, running back who's with low draft capital going to a new team? And where do you think he's going from there? Actually, this brings up a great topic on biases in fantasy football, and I will openly share one of mine right now. So when <clears throat> when you draft Rashad Penny at 103 in the rookie draft, there's no one on the depth chart to overcome him. And then some random man named Chris Carson comes out of nowhere and steals literally all of his touches for three years. Not going to like that guy. You know what I mean? <laughs> Um, so me and Chris Carson have, a um, uh, a, a dysfunctional relationship right now. Uh, obviously he's very talented, way outproduced his, you know, draft position. Uh, I like him lots of injuries. They kind of chopped him up and spit him out at, in Seattle. Uh, I'm interested what type of contract he gets, but I'm, I'm high on AJ Dillon. So maybe that shifts away from what Bryce is thinking, but I kind of think all all sales ahead on on AJ Dillon. So I would I would be upset if Carson signed there. Would definitely muddy the waters a bit. Yeah. Uh, with Jamal Jamal Williams being a free agent too, do you think they bring him back cheap and timeshare it? Or I would love that. Yes. I think Williams would be a perfect compliment and a guy, a great handcuff that you could have if uh, Dylan goes down. So that's my perfect world for Dylan. Um, I don't have a lot of him in dynasty, but uh, I, I like him right now as a guy that could see, you know, those, all those touchdowns in that Packer offense could be uh, some of them could be going to him next year. As a Vikings fan, I'm going to hope that there's a lot fewer of those touchdowns in the Packer offense. <laughs> they, my heart, my, my wife's a Packers fan, and it is just tearing me apart. Oh, that's a tough, tough dynamic for you, man. I, I hear you, but I always said I'd rather have a Packer fan for a wife than, than someone who just hates football and doesn't understand it. So True, you know, very true. You, you get a little bit of a win in the loss. Uh, another question came in here. This one was one of mine is, are there any other favorite sports or hobbies that, that you're into? Yes. And it's a pure hobby. Um, I don't know much about MMA, but I, I I think we talked about this, but it's just the most fascinating sport I've ever seen. Like these guys train to get punched in the face and 
I, I whatever that trait is that humans have to do that, I don't have it. I am just <laughs> consistently amazed every week that people have like this courage to go in there and um you know, literally battle it out like it's uh we're in Rome, you know. I it just mm-hmm. is totally blows my mind and i have so much respect for uh anyone who trains or steps into the uh you know the mma octagon or square or whatever it is whatever organization you're in i'm i'm probably gonna watch yeah uh that mma stuff i mean i this is coming from the standpoint of someone who has played and uh coached rugby over the last 12 years and i just cannot oh yeah you guys are crazy man and even I cannot even mentally understand a sport where you're saying, all right, I will get punched in the face and it will be illegal. I mean, as someone who's been punched in the face before, I'm, I'm going to not recommend that as a great time. And so the fact oh, that people are signing up for, for a sport that says, oh, yeah, this is part of what's going to happen. It, it just blows my mind. And it's it's like five different sports all coming into one. So you have the wrestlers, usually from America. You have all these Russian like uh they have a different type of wrestling over there there's jujitsu there's you know all this stuff and it's like who can win what what type of technique wins out in it um and i don't know anything about it so i i'm constantly learning you know it's it's fascinating yeah it's definitely a sport that there's a lot of angles you can take on especially depending on your background and expertise right all right so I think that's about it for the questions here. So I just want to thank you for your time hanging out here, uh, give, giving us a, a good bit of your time here on a weekend. And really, really want to thank you for your time and ask it, are there any other thoughts you want to share at, when you're with us here? Um, well, this is hour 12 of me being on discord. And I think this is a fantastic format, um, for fantasy football. I, I love this. I think this is so optimal. Um, and I'm going to be sending some feedback to, uh, my boss saying, Hey, this is, uh, (laughs) this is how we'd want to interact with people. You know, I just feel like it's such an open Mm -hmm. format. Um, and like friendly and like people can ask their question and you can see it right away. And, um, so I really love, love this setup you guys have. And, uh, yeah, thanks for having This is fun. I love to talk about this stuff, you know, dynasty, the industry and, um, strategy. And, you know, this is my, this is my board game that I have passion for. So I love it. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. And could you give us one final reminder on if someone wants to find more content from you, where can they find you? Sure. On Twitter, uh, I'm at Russell J. Clay. Uh, I do um, prospect work, season long, um, and and all that stuff for fantasyguru.com. And then um, over at Elite Fantasy, that's our DFS portion of our of our company. Um, do college football DFS during the year. So if you're into that type of thing, um, you know, I provide cheat sheets and go over dates and lines and all that fun stuff. So a little different version than Dynasty, but uh, if you guys like college football, that's that's my vibe over there. Thanks. 
And let's be honest, if you love Dynasty, you need, you need to get a little bit into college football. So go find Russell Clay's stuff and get to it wherever you can. So thank you very much, Russ. And we really appreciate your time here once again. And it's been a pleasure having you on.